5 and verse 15. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15 says, Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Thanks, Sarah. Um, so my name's Chris. I'm one of the um, non-staff team leaders here at Christchurch. Um, keep your Bibles open. It's a rather long passage today, so make sure that you don't forget it. Um, and before we start, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we worship you and that your word is not only a balm to our soul, um, but is instruction for us. And I just pray that you would give us open hearts, minds and ears to listen to that word and that we can leave um, this morning changed and that we can glorify you together. Amen. Siblings. It can be an interesting dynamic at times, can't it? I don't know if you have any siblings or not yourself, but I'm the youngest in my family and what my parents would consider the favorite of the three, probably. I have two older sisters and growing up, when one of us would annoy the other, we'd be always plotting our revenge. That might have been just for a few milliseconds as we firmly plant our hands on their back in a shoving motion, letting gravity do the rest, or it may have been for weeks or even months as we devise a sinister scheme to create the maximum amount of embarrassment possible. Whatever it was, we needed to get our own back. Well, if you grew up in the 90s like I did, there was a very specific and very unique way of getting your own back that I always longed to do through the wonderful medium of gunge tanks. For those of you who hadn't had the privilege of watching the aptly named show, Get Your Own Back, it was a popular children's TV show that solely centered on seeking revenge on grown-ups for minor annoyances. Mums who sing too loud, neighbors who play the drums, embarrassing dad dancing, you get the picture. The kids would then compete in various mini-games to get their grown-up gunged. I used to love that show. I always wanted to go on it. But alas, as with lots of things in life, as you grow up, you start to realize that life isn't that simple. If only I could gunge my coworker who doesn't pull their weight and leaves me with everything to do. If only I could gunge the person who left me out of that group invite. If only I could gunge my spouse who does that really annoying thing I hate for the thousandth time. We love it when we get our own back. We love it when someone gets a taste of their own medicine, where they have to feel how I felt when they wronged me. We love it so much that if this retribution is denied to us, sometimes we can feel a bit frustrated and aggrieved. We say often that two wrongs don't make a right, but sometimes it feels like it should, doesn't it? Because let's face it, we never get our own back by doing something nice, do we? We never get our own back by giving someone a box of chocolates or buying them a coffee. But perhaps you're already thinking, well, I just, I don't think I'm that kind of person. I don't feel very vengeful most of the time. And that may well be the case. I doubt there are many Liam Nielsen wannabes out there ready to use a certain set of skills to wreak revenge when someone just simply cuts in front of you in the queue. But we need to be wary. That's a subtle thing that's going on here. 
You don't have to be careering through the streets of Paris mowing down bad guys to want vengeance when you're wrong. Because if you're truly honest with yourself, you know what your heart jumps to when someone wrongs you. Perhaps you grew a little bit cold or bitter towards someone because they ignored you. Or you became grumpy and angry when your spouse said something sharply to you. Or you gossiped about someone to your friend because of what they said at work. Or you had a moan, spoke poorly about someone, and let everyone know how annoyed you are at this certain person. We all have that desire to make the other person pay in some way or another, to make them feel the way we felt when, we've done, when they've done something to us. But that's not what we see in today's verse. Last week, we started our new mini-series called Practical Christianity, where we go through just one verse each week in 1 Thessalonians 5 and take a deep dive into how we can live out that verse practically in our own lives. This week, we find Paul urging the Thessalonians not to seek getting their own back, but to pursue good. He calls them to lay down their instinctive desire for payback and strive to do good instead. And depending on your background and culture, that either sounds lovely and aspirational or perhaps a little bit difficult and silly, or perhaps a bit of both. Perhaps you're currently feeling this awkward mix of wanting to like the sound of it, but secretly wishing it referred to everyone else but me. Because even if that does sound nice to you, on the face of it, it's often not that easy. It doesn't seem as simple as that if you're the one who's been insulted or dumped on or ignored. You may sit here nodding your head reading this verse, but what does your heart leap to when it's you on the receiving end? We feel this pull, don't we? We feel this urge to repay back what was given to us. They can't just get away with it, can they? Now, there's probably a few things going on here as to why we feel like this. Partly because there's an element of pride and thinking quite highly of ourselves. But I think it also comes from a place of wanting a form of justice. We instinctively want things to be equal and fair. And don't get me wrong, wanting justice is a good thing. We worship a God of justice after all. And I believe one of the reasons these desires seem so deep and important to us is because they're an integral part of what being made in God's image looks like. Wanting the wrongs we experience in the big and small to be put right. Wanting the crooked lines of this world to be straightened and mended. To uphold fairness and justice is an imprint of our creator on our hearts. And on the other hand, if you've been around church or even the wider Christian influence society for long enough, this idea we ought to respond in mercy and goodness when we are wronged can seem really attractive. Swallowing that desire for revenge and rising above it all is often seen as a good thing. You can see it in countless movies, books, and documentaries. Showing goodness despite being wronged against is at the center of some of the most powerfully moving stories we have in this world. We can instinctively see its beauty. It captivates us. It resonates in our hearts. So when we're wronged, we, we feel this tension 
we all go through the same internal struggle. On the one side, we see the beauty and mercy and forgiveness, but also that we want the other person to pay in some way and receive justice. So how are we supposed to do this? Why are we supposed to do this? How do we carry out this verse in a nitty-gritty day-to-day, simultaneously holding our desire for justice and the beauty of mercy? Well, as we take a deep dive into this verse, we're going to see three things. We're going to start with the foundation, then the platform, then the display. So foundation, platform, display. And as we go through, we'll start to flesh out how we do this, what it looks like, and then finish with what the result could be. So, as part of medical school, many of you will know that you go on a placement abroad one summer. And after a few months of deliberation, my friend and I decided to go to Borneo in Southeast Asia. It was a great time. We went to the beach, we did some sightseeing, jungle trekking, and if I'm honest with you, not a lot of medical work. Well, one day, when we were out in a remote place on a road trip, and as we were traveling, we came across this river. And across this river was this rickety old wooden bridge suspended by some really dodgy-looking rusty wires. We needed to cross, and it was the only bridge for miles. And so my friend and I, we exchanged a look. A silent moment where nothing needs to be said, but you know exactly what the other is thinking. Will this bridge be strong enough to hold our weight? And you may be having the same thought about this passage right now. What is strong enough to support the tension of my desire for justice and this type of passage calling me to be merciful? Well, we see the first part of the foundation at the start of this chapter in verses 1 to 10. As a brief summary here, Paul addresses one of the big questions that Thessalonians had. What will Jesus' return look like? And in doing so, Paul implores the Thessalonians to live in light of this truth. Paul calls them to be awake and alert to be fully aware and not surprised by the fact that Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead, to wrap up and conclude all time and history and to end all evil and pain. And he'll do so at any moment without any specific warning. This awareness isn't just a nice heads up, but something that should shape their lives. Because if this reality is true, then it changes everything, including their whole identity. Take a quick note in verse 5 of how, knowing this truth, they no longer belong to the night, but are now called children of the light. Their identity changes, and identity change always results in behavior change. It should change the way they live. And our verse today is one of those specific ways Here, Paul says, in light of this truth, it should shape the way we respond when people wrong us. You see, Jesus' return changes everything. And we can often speak about it in quite an abstract kind of way, and it sometimes feels it has little relevance to the here and now. But here lies a very real, practical example of how it affects today. And if you're exploring the Christian faith at the moment, 
we absolutely love having you here. I can imagine talking about Jesus coming again may sound rather weird. Well, the reason that we talk about it with such hope is not because it's a nice reunion, but because it signifies the culmination of all time, where Jesus will completely and emphatically end all evil. He will be seated on his throne to judge the world, and God's, the Father's, justified wrath will be poured out. And in doing so, bringing total justice, peace, and righteousness. So how does this reality change anything? Well, knowing this gives us the assured promise and hope that every single wrong thing anyone has ever done will be paid in full. No wrong will go unpunished. No crooked line will go unstraightened. And this frees us from the perceived burden of wanting to bring more wrong and sin onto others to gain some sort of payback or retribution. It helps us not to repay wrong with more wrong because we know it already has or will be paid for. Doesn't mean these wrongs don't hurt. Doesn't mean that it doesn't have consequences. But it does mean we are free from striving for payback when we are wronged. We can rest in the fact that we know justice will be served. A much better justice, a much sweeter justice, a complete and truly satisfying justice. Every single wrong will be paid back, either by the perpetrator or Jesus himself. Because not only is this foundation built on what Jesus will do, but also on what he already has done. Because on the cross, Jesus took the wrath of God that was rightfully meant for us upon himself so that we don't have to. He's the one who took on himself the evil and sin of the world and paid back what we owed. Even though he was wronged more than any of us can ever imagine, he went to the cross and created the ultimate good by making us a way to be right with God. He took on the punishment we deserved so that we could walk free. And when you truly realize the sheer size and depth of the debt that you owe through all the wrong things we do every single day, and therefore the sheer power and might of that forgiveness granted you freely by Jesus, your heart can't help but turn from revenge to redemption. It turns it from striving to pay back wrong for wrong to striving to do what is good. And I say this not in a kind of obligation kind of way, as in you have to behave this way to pay, to pay Jesus back, but in a freedom way, in a love overflowing way. It's resting in the knowledge and glory of God and his simply magnificent and pervasive love for you that you can relieve, it can relieve you of chasing after something you think you deserve or need because you are truly full in him. You see, the only foundation strong enough to hold the tension of justice and mercy, it's not a thought. It's not an idea, a movement, a way of life. It isn't in our hashtags, our boycotts, our protests. It isn't even in our laws or courtrooms. It's a person 
person, Jesus Christ. Now, those other things aren't bad things, don't get me wrong, but it's not where our strength and hope ultimately lie. Only in him can we find perfect mercy and perfect justice. Only in him can we find the strength to repay wrong with good. Only in him can we practically live out this verse. Which brings us nicely onto our second point, the platform. So we've seen the how, now we look at the what. What does it look like to live out this verse on the platform of the day-to-day? So, let's meet Mark. Mark gets home from a busy day at work, and so does his wife, Julie. Mark decides to get dinner started, but Julie doesn't really pay him that much attention. And Mark asks uh, her a question about plans later in the week. But Julie snaps back, a short, sharp, snarky response. Mark feels a bit hurt by this, so he snaps back and becomes cold and decides not to speak to Julie for the rest of the night. Well, how about Lorraine? Lorraine works in a high-flying business with lots of pressures on targets. And she works with her colleague, George. However, before a big quarterly deadline, George decides to leave work early. This means Lorraine has has to stay late and left with all the work to do. And it transpires George hadn't even done the basic tasks he was meant to that week. Lorraine starts to message her friends mean things about George, about how lazy and incompetent he is. She decides not to help cover George's annual leave next month to get back at him. Well, both Mark and Lorraine decide to read 1 Thessalonians 5. And by the grace of God, they feel convicted by verse 15 and see that Jesus is their foundation. They see that because of what Jesus has done and will do, they are free and have the power to not pay back wrong for wrong. But they both have the same question. If I'm free not to sin back when I'm sinned against, what does it mean at the end of the verse to do good for each other, meaning here in church, and for everyone else, meaning those outside the church? Well, ask yourself this one question. What is the good I've received in Jesus? Not only is he our foundation, but he's also the good we have on offer to others. To strive to do good is to show them Jesus. Our desire and goal is that those who have wronged us come to know the same grace and mercy that we ourselves found in Jesus. And so rather than responding to wrong done against us with wrongdoing of our own, Paul urges us to respond with the radical love of Christ. And so he also writes about this in Romans 12. The verse should come on the screen. Here Paul says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. 
and this is the key bit, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you see, to strive to do good for each other is to seek to serve others, even if we're wronged. It is to overcome the wrong of others with the goodness of the cross. Through being firmly planted in Jesus, you have the ability to resist the situation where being sinned against produces more sin in you. And we can often blame others for when we sin in this way. When we snap back at people or become bitter or angry or do selfish things, we're quick to blame it on someone else's sin against us. But because of the foundation of Jesus, we are empowered not to blame others, but to serve others. By serving those who wronged us, we hold out the hope and goodness of the one who served us when we wronged him. Let's face it, we don't often do a very good job at this. This isn't meant to be a big stick, me saying everyone should do better, be nice to each other. Because if we understand the foundation right, it's calling us to freedom and liberation, not telling us to pull our socks up. We are free from the poison of resentment and revenge. We are free to offer mercy and grace because we don't need to strain for what we think we deserve or need. Because we already have everything we need in him and we know justice will prevail. So let's return to our examples and see how these scenarios could play out if they put this verse into practice. So Mark, he came home from work and his wife was short with him. So rather than snapping back at her, becoming angry, distant and silent, he moves towards Julie, tries to understand, empathize, ask how he can help. Or maybe even just simply bringing her a cup of a favorite drink or a snack. It's nothing extravagant or big, and Julie may not even apologize. But in that very moment, in a very practical way, Mark has repaid wrong with good. Perhaps they can have a constructive chat about how Julie responded later. But again, in a very practical way, Mark has displayed the goodness and mercy of Jesus to his wife. How about Lorraine? She's left to pick up all the pieces at work and everything is just dumped on her. So rather than gossiping, speaking poorly of her colleague to others and withdrawing her favour out of spite, Lorraine continues to work diligently and goes through with her offer to cover George's annual leave. Despite the fact that he didn't pull his weight and put her in an awkward situation. George may never even say thank you and there's a time and place to talk to George about his behaviour but in a very practical way, Lorraine showed the grace of the gospel to her colleague. Now, I imagine some of you throughout all of this have been thinking, well, that sounds all well and good, but what about the elephant in the room? What about the major wrongs? Sounds like a nice idea in the small things, but what if someone really wrongs me? And some of you here today won't need to imagine. You have been deeply wronged by someone. I've been wondering about this very scenario. And whilst I do think Paul in this passage is mainly referring to the typical squabbles that you get within a group of people at church, I also think it also applies to the big stuff too. 
I believe the power and strength of this foundational truth is strong enough for this scenario too. So let me introduce you to our final person. Meet Gladys. Gladys and her husband Graham have been missionaries in India for 30 years, caring for those in abject poverty and with leprosy. However, one day, Graham and his two sons, aged 10 and 6, were brutally burned alive in their car by a radical group of Hindus. In this true story, rather than responding in more hatred, rather than plotting retribution, Gladys stayed and cared and continued to care for the people God had given them to look after. And afterwards she said these words, I have only one message for the people of India. I'm not bitter, neither am I angry. But I have one great desire, that each citizen of this country should establish a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who gave his life for their sins. Let us burn hatred and spread the flame of Christ's love. She was so assured in Jesus that the unspeakable evil that those people inflicted on that family would not go unpunished. She had such an incredible footing in the foundation of Jesus that she had the strength to not allow that evil to produce more evil in her, but respond with goodness, even when she was so deeply wronged. And please don't misunderstand me. These are unfathomable evils. God sees them as evil and has declared them as so. They're not insignificant. They're not something to brush over. He knows the weight of that evil more than anyone. But because of Jesus, we have the assured promise and hope that they will be dealt with and they will be paid for, either through the cross or his judgment. Only in Jesus do we have that certain hope that evil will be dealt with and justice will reign. And so as a quick aside, this passage is also not saying campaigning for justice or seeking justice in the courts is wrong. Ensuring we don't repay wrong for wrong doesn't mean we have to do nothing. But it does mean we don't allow sin to produce more sin in us and that we try and seek to display the amazingness of Jesus to those around us. And through that, the hope of the gospel will ring out. So that brings us on to our short third and final point, the display. Can anyone remember back to New Year's Eve just gone? Well, if you can and you were watching the countdown on the BBC, you'll probably remember these. Hopefully it should come up on the screen. There we go. No, that isn't a computer animation or a projection in the sky. That's hundreds of small drones flying around, lighting up different colors, interacting and flying in a coordinated way to create different shapes that can be seen for miles. It's incredibly intricate. If one light dims, if a few fly off in the wrong direction, if they don't interact well with each other and crash, the picture is obscured. Pretty impressive, right? Well, the Thessalonians, though all unlikely to be flying in the air, 
were also a pretty impressive display on show for all to see. Paul commends them in chapter 1 for their great display of the gospel. So in verses 7 and 8 he writes, And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. So despite the severe suffering and persecution that they were under, the message of the gospel rang out from the church in Thessalonica to the surrounding nations. And the crucial part, just like the drones, was with how they interacted with one another to create that picture for everyone to see. It was how they built each other up, served one another, overcame evil together that would light up the sky with the message of the gospel. And so through this passage here today, we're called to do the same. Carrying out this verse practically in the day-to-day isn't just something we should do because we've been told to or that we read it here, but because it's one of the biggest and best ways we can proclaim the gospel to the world around us. You see, it's how we interact with one another, build each other up, serve one another, even when someone annoys or wrongs us. That is one of, if not the best way, for the gospel to ring out. A display for all to see. And if we start repaying wrong for wrong, if we start to seek getting our own back in subtle ways, then the lights of the display go dim and the picture becomes obscured. This verse knows it will be hard at times that will need the help of others. It says right at the start, make sure no one pays wrong for wrong. So we need to be willing to make sure and encourage each other to practically live out this verse. We'll need help to help each other remember our foundation in Jesus. We'll need a friend to pray with. We'll need someone to correct us. We'll also need to be open and willing to be encouraged and be reminded by someone else. Because God is glorified when his people are unified. Our character and the way that we treat others is our biggest and brightest way to communicate the gospel to the world around us. Of who God is, what he has done, what he will do, and the freedom that we find in him. There are fewer things that undermine the gospel more than disunity. So together, let's put this verse into practice. Let's be a brilliant, dazzling display of the gospel together. Let's continue to grow as a community that has its foundation firmly in Jesus with what he has done and will do, who have the power and freedom to do good even in the face of being wronged. Then we'll light up the sky with a mighty, magnificent, unmissable message of the gospel for all to see. So let's pray. Let's pray together that God will help us do this. Father God, we praise you that in Jesus we meet perfect justice and perfect mercy. Help us by your spirit to stand firm in this truth and help each other to not pay wrong for wrong, but to strive together to show those around us the goodness of Jesus and the forgiveness that we've received. Amen.